0: Hello, everyone. Welcome to the latest episode of the Sales Prospecting School Podcast. can't remember what podcast I'm on. Sales Prospecting School Podcast. My name is Ted Stevenow, and today we're going to be covering the very last reading or section on the book Prospect Factory, which we've been going over since episode 67. So this is the 15th show where we've read a part of the book, and then had commentary on it. And so really, we've pretty much gone through the whole thing. So if you want a free copy of Prospect Factory, go back to episode 67 and listen from there. Uh, Or if you don't mind, you could go to Amazon and buy a copy. But nonetheless, today's the last show. And this section that we're going to go over today actually is a combination of several final thoughts that I put in the book just to sum things up. And I'm going to lead this with this issue of sales rejection. So how to handle sales rejection. And, And so that will be That's the first of the final thoughts we're going to cover today in this last chapter of the book. So let's go ahead and jump right in. It's not very long to read. Uh, We'll read this this last section and then come back and and talk about various important points. So here we are on page 133, section 6, final thoughts. In closing, here are a few final thoughts on the business of sales that I would like to leave with you. Six one, Dealing with sales rejection. Sales rejection is a fact of life if you're in sales. You must learn to understand and deal with it properly to keep it from wearing you down as it inevitably occurs. If you take sales rejection personally, you will have a very hard time surviving in sales. What is necessary is to understand that most of the rejection you will experience as a salesperson is not personal at all. To come to grips with sales rejection, you need to recognize that, at least initially, there are three major things people most often reject. These are, one, people reject products or services. Two, people reject sales methods. And three, people reject timing. Rejection of products or services. People reject buying products or services. Everyone does this. You have done it, you will do it. For example, I am not now, nor will I ever be interested in buying a boa constrictor to keep as a house pet. And there is precious little any salesperson could do or say to make me change my mind about it. Every person has a few things that he or she may either, one, not want to buy or need now, or two, not want to buy or need ever. The key element to observe is that it is the product or service being rejected in this case, not the salesperson representing it. Rejection of sales methods. People also reject sales methods. For example, most people aren't interested in hearing from a door-to-door salesperson at three o'clock in the morning, even if he or she is selling something they want and need. What's more, if a company employs a salesperson that is too pushy, a customer may not buy from that company. The customer may have even liked the product the the salesperson was offering to him or her. Maybe a prospect doesn't like email or direct mail. Maybe a prospect doesn't like telephone solicitation. The fact that these kinds of preferences exist is a reality of life. What is key to note is that it's the sales method getting rejected and not the salesperson. Sales rejection based on timing. Lastly, people reject or accept sales calls about products or services based on timing. Let's say a prospect is ordinarily open to a call about a product he or she sometimes buys. However, if he or she just bought yesterday, it may lead to the call being rejected today. The call may not be permanently rejected, and the salesperson may wish to call this person again in the future. But for today, the call was rejected based on its timing, and it's not personal. Except that sales rejection will happen. As a salesperson, I am going to experience rejection of my products, services, sales methods, and timing. Some people will express their rejection quietly and calmly, and others will express it more strongly. It is a part of life. If I understand this, it is not such a big deal when it happens. I encourage a prospect to say no to my product, service, timing, or sales method first. If the prospect does say no, I take his or her disinterest at face value, then I let the prospect go. If I hang around after a prospect has already rejected any one of these things, the most obvious thing left for the prospect to do is to reject me personally. Experience has taught me not to hang around for prospects to reject me personally anymore. This seems to work out best for everyone involved. 6.2. Keeping the information you collect to yourself. Much of what we have talked about in this book emphasizes the importance of collecting information and making productive use of it, but I want to add a word of caution here. Though I certainly do collect information and use it to help me prospect effectively, I have also learned to keep the information I collect to myself. Important, I also do not sell or share any of the information I collect with third parties. All primary research that I collect, whether from personal research, observation, or telephone prospecting, I consider to be strictly confidential and it stays with me and my company. If, for example, I gather a list of prospects who, when I last talked to them, said they were going to be considering buying in the month of November, I will call them again in the month of November But generally, I will not remind them that they told me to call, nor will I create a special, you mentioned I might call you back in November script for these calls. Instead, I will call these prospects just exactly like I did the first time, using the same old approach, seeking current interest. Genuine interest is all that matters. Whether the prospect thinks or predicts that he or she will be interested at some point in the future means nothing unless he or she becomes interested my reminding the prospect of the prediction serves little purpose and in fact it even has a way of creating its own unique set of problems sometimes a backlash occurs when a prior information is given to a prospect by a salesperson to foreshadow interest perhaps you've experienced this backlash as either a salesperson or as a prospect unfortunately what happens is that the information the salesperson references is heard by the prospect as you told me or i know x or y and therefore you owe me something this inadvertently pushes the prospect into a corner and forces him or her to fight a way out, which is never good. To avoid this situation, keep any information you have collected to yourself. If a prospect remembers you, then you can go ahead and pick up where you left off. 6.3 Learning your ratios. Another important sales-related subject is the study of ratios. Try to keep good records about what you do and set aside time to study your numbers. As you keep your records, remember it will take a reasonable amount of time, i.e. at least several months, to establish meaningful ratios and it will also take reasonable volume, i.e. hundreds or even thousands of calls and or one-pagers sent. The larger the numbers you analyze, the truer your ratios will tend to be. I try to track numbers, such as how many calls I make per hour, per day, per week, per month, per quarter, how many finished leads I find per 1,000 calls, how many finished leads I get back for every 1,000 one-pagers I send, how many sales appointments are scheduled for every 10 finished leads I find, hopefully greater than 40%, How many sales are made divided by the total number of finished leads? How many sales are made divided by the total number of appointments attended? Once your ratios are established, they become a baseline for comparison purposes. Some of the things I use ratios to help me assess by comparison are the effectiveness of the various one-pagers I send and when I send them, the potency of my prospecting list, and my closing ratio. This is the total number of sales divided by the total number of leads in order to calculate that. Knowing your ratios builds confidence. Your ratios can become something you count on. You can know that if you make enough calls and send enough one-pagers, you will ultimately find plenty of prospects who will become buyers. Knowledge of your ratios gives you faith in the system. Ratios may change a little from time to time for better or worse, but over the long term, they give a good indication of how you are doing and help keep you on track. 6.4 Persistence At least one reason why ideas are a dime a dozen is that many people won't try much less stick with an idea long enough to allow it to bear fruit a person may say to me i made 150 telephone prospecting calls but i got nothing out of it therefore telephone prospecting calls don't work based on this experience he or she may be making a logical conclusion but it is an inaccurate logical conclusion the difference is this person needs to try a little harder and work a little smarter Life is a series of judgment calls. Be aware that discipline and persistence are not always in excess supply on this planet. When in doubt, lean to the side of sticking with it. Hang in there. Somehow I was able to stick with some of my ideas long enough to see them bear fruit. As I look back on it, discipline and persistence played a big part in making this possible. When business is slow, I keep researching, keep calling, and keep sending one-pagers. It's my job. And what do you know? My slow times aren't quite as slow as other people's slow times. Frequently, in fact, my slow times are more productive than other people's busy times. It all happens because I am constantly engaged in the ongoing work of prospecting and selling. Through thick and thin, I have a consistent and steady schedule for carrying out research, making calls, and sending mail. I hardly ever let anything break the routine. I stick with it every day, every week, every month, every year. I'm not saying I don't take a break occasionally. I'm simply saying don't give up. If you keep trying and apply what you have learned, eventually your persistence will pay off. And that's really the end of the book. There's an appendix on, on telemarketing legislation and a glossary of terms, but that's that's really the the basis, uh, the basic elements of the book. Read in those last 15 episodes. And so, going back and doing some commentary on what we what we read, the the issue of sales rejection is is just such a major thing. We've talked about in other shows the impact of having a system set in place in order to reduce the mental stress and really the spilling of energy when you sit down to prospect. That's critical, I mean, that's a huge thing. It's not obvious to people that, wow, if I'm having call reluctance, maybe if I had a better system and I didn't have to custom build my list every day and I didn't have to custom build every response I give to someone, I didn't have to custom build every email that I write, I had a system for things so that I didn't have to spend all that energy just taking step by step by step through my day because I've got a bunch of things set up in advance, so that I can more easily and more systematically respond and and to, to my environment, to, to to what happens to me during my day. So that's an issue. If you're spilling your energy there, it's going to make you weaker when you have to do the interpersonal stuff. And so, really, in one sense, by getting your system together, you're bringing the maximum amount of energy at your disposal to the fight, right? To the to the arena that matters. So you're not spilling it all on the way to the ring. You're gonna have you're gonna make it so that when you step into the ring, you haven't already run ten miles just to get to the match. So on a separate level, really, once you're in the ring, right? Once you're actually talking to people, once all that other stuff's taken care of and you're finally at the moment where you're talking to people. We talked in the, in the, the call shows where we, about the, the percentages of responses that you'd see. And we saw that over half of the responses or over, the, over half of the outcomes from dialing the phone are either people aren't even there or they're disqualified or somewhere between 50% and 75% of calls are just transactional. They have nothing to do with talking to somebody or really getting rejected very much. It's just it's just an issue of, oh, I called and I got an answering machine. So there's, there's a whole uh, side of things, understanding the system to realize that just like baseball, most of the at-bats you're going to have aren't going to yield. You're not going to get hit by a pitch. You're not going to get rejected, but you're also not going to have necessarily a home run. You're going to have a variety of outcomes and the, to the degree that you can understand the variety of outcomes it just it just enables you to be able to be better prepared mentally for for doing the work and because when you don't know what the outcomes look like, that's when things get scary and it's like, Oh no, I'm calling this person. Mike. like, is this going to be the time I get hit with the pitch? I don't know. But if you know that, look, that's really rare. It's like it takes a hundred calls. It takes a thousand calls to, to, to get hit with a pitch. It's just like a, it's, it's empowering and, and gives you courage and gives you a little bit more energy when you, when you have a better expectation of, of what might happen when you make the call. So here in this section, I wanted to just highlight two in a different way. What what happens what do people really reject what are they really rejecting because the biggest fear is personal rejection you don't want to be rejected personally if you're like oh this person tells me i'm a bad person and and then let that kind of lead to well i mean, am i in the wrong career is this is this going to work is my company going to succeed is my sales career going to succeed am i going to make this business work at all i mean is it viable and so so here well i guess there's two dimensions to it there's a, there's a transference right so when you, somebody gets rejected or hurt and they go what caused that hurt sometimes it's hard to tell exactly it's not clear that it was um the individual so so let, let's say you, you hit your ha- finger with a with a hammer while you're while you're nailing you can say well i hit myself in the finger and then the pain is related just from being hit on the by the finger or you can if you if you're not careful you can transfer every time i do a home improvement product i end up whacking myself in the finger i hurt myself i don't i'm not a i'm not a very handy person because i hit, when i do handy type stuff i i end up hurting myself or smacking myself in the finger you can see where depending on how you look at it if you if you if you let it blur lines and get out of its out of its, the lane it should be in, that it has this, it, can, it can reach out and, and be more destructive than it needs to be because it's not properly conceived, it's not properly understood or, or quantified. So in this case, I wanted to say, well, look, let, let's even just look at rejection. When people say no, what are they really saying no to? And the, the, the reality is that in almost all situations, it's not you personally. I mean, it could happen, but you got to set up circumstances. You have to really work to get somebody to actually, oh, I got to know you and I just really didn't like you. And if that actually happens, there's a lesson you should probably got to learn somewhere. Like how did you treat this person? Were you respectful to them? Or is this the kind of person who says this to everybody? Or there's just, there are a lot of questions you can ask to try to help you get through that. But here I'm, I'm gonna, instead of going to those exceptions, which are extremely rare, I wanted to call out or highlight the fact that there are these three main things that people reject and that, that is products and services, sales methods and timing. And, and I want to highlight the fact that when this happens, you have to start to see and mentally separate, go, hey, that person just rejected my product. Well, that's not me. And I know this is a real product. I know people buy this. I know it helps people. I know this is a real company. I know we've got, you know, you know what I'm saying? You have to sort of re- rebuild mentally like, wait a second. Just because one person says no doesn't mean everyone's going to say no, Right and it doesn't affect, it doesn't, it's not about you personally. So by separating these things and understanding them and quantifying them, codifying them, putting them in their little, their little framework, or putting a border around them, you can separate them from that sense of personal uh, attack or personal, like, you know, bad feelings associated with somebody saying no to you on a, what you might perceive to be a personal level when it actually isn't a personal level. So so I, I want to go through those things in the, in the rejection because it's really important and, and try to think on a day that you made calls, or you did outreach, or whatever, and think about think about the no's you got. I mean, it's even probably worthwhile. And I didn't suggest this in the book, and I, I don't know if I've ever suggested it. But if you could ever sit down and say, "I just got to no, know what can I categorize that no was that a no? If was that a timing problem? Was that a product problem? Was that a method problem? And even just those three things right there, and take a look at the no's you get. So first of all, you make a hundred calls. You're not going to seventy five percent of them aren't even going to get going to get to the point where there's a yes or no somewhere in that range. But then if you look at the ones where you actually are engaging people and you say, okay, what happened? Okay, and say, what was the no really about? And if you start making a list, you'll see immediately that there's these three elements that are the main things that are rejected. And, and I think it's, it's also useful to say, when you think about those three issues, I mean, because I'm a zero resistance guy, it's like once you have said no in a, in a way that makes sense to me, that fits one of these categories, I can go, okay, well, thanks very much and move on to the next person. Like, I don't need you to say no twice. I don't want you to say no twice. I don't want you to say no three times because if I keep forcing you to say no, eventually what's going to happen is you're going to say no to me personally. And that I don't want to do that. So if I stay there, if I hover, if I linger over the target... For more no's, I increase my chances of actually having somebody say, yeah, well, you once you go to hell, like, you know, because you're just frustrating the prospect, this can be like into going to the plate in baseball and leaning into a pitch. I mean, if you see the pitch go by, and it's one of these pitches, that's really wild or whatever, and you get out of the way. Well, I mean, in, in this case, you can just, you can just walk away from the plate or, you know, you, you have the ability to, to, to release when things are wild. And, and I'm so so and then that protects you rather than say, wow, this person's throwing a lot of wild pitches. I think I'll hang out here longer and I'll even lean into it. So I'm going to get whacked with, with a pitch. Now, I mean, the, every analogy limps a little bit, but you get the idea. If I find a no, it's based on one of the things that's, that's a normal rejection or the common rejections. I can know, huh, mission accomplished. I got the no. I'm going to say thank you and move on to the next one. Okay. Now, the other section I, I put in this, this last chapter was this issue about information yeah, it's just one of those things i i did try to craft scripts because i was collecting qualifying information in terms of timing and i said well you know i talked to you in the in the, in the springtime and you mentioned i should you should call me back in the fall and man i just you give it a whirl if you want but i mean just in my world i i that that was a very short-lived effort because it was just like man it just was like calling fire on my position i was just crazy because the prospects weren't remembering me and then when i was saying oh we talked in the past and i was supposed to call you now um, it just didn't, it didn't change the interest paradigm. If the person wasn't interested, it didn't matter all that stuff that I was saying. It was just like, are you still interested So I just learned to say, okay, well I can be smart with data about when to call you. Right. But I'm not gonna remind you about it. I mean, you, you might just say to me, I can't believe you called. This is just this, I was just thinking about this. We're just getting to this. Okay, well that you can do that, have them be surprised. But I just, uh, my experience has been that I, I just keep that information to myself. I use it for outreach, so I know when to call. But when I call, I use my usual pitch, my usual script that I always, always use. I don't make a special script. Uh, another issue here is this ratios. Now, ratios is yet is yet another thing that is alongside of system understanding the types of rejection and then the ratios is just ratios are just another way of looking at you're stepping to the plate. How when you step to the plate, what are your chances? You know, for every thousand pitches, what are the outcomes? And the more you study your ratios. So this but this involves keeping track of things. And you'll notice with the okay codes as we talked about in other episodes, you have the ability to sort through your numbers and after a call cycle, let's say you've made, you know, a few thousand calls or something in a call cycle, you can look back and go, how many people weren't available? Like, whoa, look at that. And you get a percentage. How many people actually became leads? Look at that. How many people actually bought? How many people wanted me to send them something? How many people were disqualified? You can go through all that stuff. And once you start understanding your ratios, then it's just like, it's just empowering. I mean, it just, the more unknown you can take out, because the unknown is where the worry comes from. The unknown is chaos. Like, oh, your car shut off on the side of the road. In the very beginning of that experience, you're going, oh man, does it need a new engine? Does it, did the transmission just just fail? Is this, but it could be like a $6 part. It could be nothing right? It could be something simple, but before you know what it is, when it's unknown, it's actually bigger than big. It's, it's, it has the ability to be just outsize itself in terms of it, and that's going to suck your energy into the void. So here I'm saying in time with, I mean, really, if you do the system that I talk about in this book and you, and you do use these codes for every call, I just tell you, it's just so, it's so much easier when, when you, cause if you're thinking of a, even a, a not interested response, it's just like, up, oh, you're a one, that's a one. In the okay field, it just like it just it shrinks everything down to size, and this even shrinks it further because I I know my ratios. I know like look like one thing I know is like far as finished leads go for my typical calls. I mean they're in this point less than like half of one percent to maybe two percent possible in hundred calls. Of those calls are going to be finished leads. So when I call fifty make fifty calls and I don't get a finished lead, I don't care. Like you know what I mean? I I just know that oh yeah that's part of the deal. And if I go for two or three days, I'm like, get some days I'll get six leads in the day and next day I'll get none. And it just like, it averages out over time and I just don't worry about it. And, and, and in fact, as we've talked about in so many episodes, I'm really mainly focusing on qualifying my mailing list. So I'm just collecting information as I go. And then every now and then someone ends, ends up coming, just stepping out of line and saying, Hey, you know, we're looking at that right now. Can you, can you give us quotes? Can you help us with this? Cause we need this today. So knowing your ratios. It builds confidence, right? So you get to know, well, this is about what to expect, and it also protects you. Uh, it's just yet another thing to take that call reluctance and the fear of calling and the pain of calling and all the things that people suffer with, and just 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 minimize it because you just have a much better understanding of the landscape, and and that will will protect you and that will make you mentally stronger, give you more energy to be able to carry forward and do the work you need to do that brings you to the success you're you're trying to achieve. So. Now, the last piece is, is this section on persistence. I think it's probably true to say, I heard a, I heard a podcast, Tim, Tim Ferriss had some guy on, and he talked about, uh, I think the words he used was obstinate trying. Because there's this whole thing like, how hard should you try at something? How long should you give something a, a chance to succeed? And that's an important question. And in the case of sales, because if, look at this, if you, if you hung in there with all these 15 episodes we just did on this, I made enough calls to be able to make all that stuff happen, all that system, all that learning, all that. You know what I mean? It's like, there's no way I could have made calls for 60 days and said, okay, I figured out all this stuff. I mean, there's just no way. And so it was persistence that enabled me to do this and do enough of it to be able to, with with keeping in my mind in my in mind at least well not in the first five to ten years but as as time got going hey I should systemize this I should I picked up pieces as I went I mean it's kind of a remarkable world that someone can write a book and give you 10 20 30 years of experience just in like a 150 page book or whatever it is but it, I, you know, it's one of those things where I mean a lot of people will the the teacher appears when the student's ready or whatever they say you know I mean a lot of people will just be they won't realize that they could get that, and they'll just they'll go out and be rugged individualists and just try to figure it out on their own. But the persistence uh, gave me the ability to come up with all this stuff. And and I you know I look at persistence and I go well, where does it come from? How do you make that work? I say be persistent. But it's like well, someone says, okay, well how do I be persistent? What does that mean? It's it's really it's really baked in the cake of all we've talked about already. Have a routine. Have a time of day when you're going to make calls. Get all these things together. Focus on systems. Do it so that you you're able to. I mean, if, if you want to put like one goal, you know, to say I'm going to make a certain number of calls a day. I'm going to have a reach. Or I'm going to call between these, these these between nine and ten each day, or between eight and eight and ten. Some sort of thing where that I used to when I did uh, seminars and teaching in the in the political world. I remember um, people were looking for all kinds of ways to make a difference. And there was a we talked about outreach and political involvement and central committee and all these things people could do. It didn't matter what party you're in. Um, it was just like, how can, you, how can you make a difference in your world? And so there are all these different lanes people could, could go down. And I remember at the end of a day of this, I remember referencing the movie City Slickers, which, which I think uh, uh, Jay Papazin and uh, Gary Keller, the, they talk about it in the One Thing book. I couldn't believe it when I read the One Thing book. And it said, he's talking about City Slickers. I did the same thing. Gary and I are about the same age. He's also really into prospecting. He figured it out. He was working on that a lot when I was first writing my, the first edition of Prospect Factory. I mean, someday I'd meet that dude and be like, "Yo, man, I can't believe it. Like a lot of parallel universe. Um, but he, he references the movie City Slickers because there's a scene in there where the curly guys talking to the Billy Crystal character and they're, and they're going, um, you know, the curly says the 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 boss the, the the cattle boss is riding with him and all the cities city folk come and go on this cattle drive and he goes oh you shitty folks you spend all year screwing up your lives and you come out here expect to be able to fix it and get everything ironed out because he, he goes that's crazy that's never going to happen and the billy crystal character says well so what is so what are we supposed to do what's the truth what's the what are we what's what's the real way to look at life and curly looks at him and he holds up his finger and he and he goes one thing and he basically says, you know, everything else don't mean shit, he says. And Billy Crystal doesn't understand. And he basically, throughout the movie, they do they do have him go through this transformative experience. He, he he falls in the river and he's, you know, risk drowning. He's trying to save some calf and whatever. And he goes, you know, he gets out of the water and this whole experience happens. And he goes, they say to him, well, you know, how are you? Are you okay? And he realizes later, he goes, you know, when I was in that water, I was only thinking about one thing. And that was my family, getting back to my family, you know. And so that one thing then leads to why we do everything else, right? A lot of times. And it, there's another version of this sort of perspective it was from Jim Rohn where, where no discipline exists in a vacuum. If you said, well, I want to eat low carb and you said, I've read, a, just read a book, just finished a book about it. And I'm deciding I'm going to eat low carb. And it's, let's say it's, you know, 10 o'clock at night or whatever. And so you come to tomorrow and you're all excited about your new plan to eat low carb. Well, first thing you do is you get up and you want to have breakfast and you look and see, well, is it even possible okay, for me to eat low carb? Like, do I have a low carb breakfast here? And you go through and all you've got is boxes of cereal and pop tarts and stuff. And you say, well, and well, look, there's there's a carton of eggs in there. I'll make eggs for breakfast. And what happens is you soon find that if you, you pick the one thing that's important to you, that you end up having to have a cascade of effects. You have all the, all of a sudden you've got to throw away all the, the high carb stuff. You've got to look at what you have that's low carb. you got to get a, a, a couple of cookbooks. you got to plan menus. you got to figure out how can I, what what does it look like? i got to have a list to go to the grocery store and you got to, it's the one commitment to the one thing leads to all these commitments downstream in order to make the one thing happen. And so when I look at the prospecting, with some high degree of certainty, I can say that something that was very important to me that I learned in my early career was that I needed to make an appointment with the phone. I needed to have a certain time of day where there's designated that I made calls. And that was really, I mean, that was a game changer. And, and even to this day, it's like, well, between eight and 10, I'm supposed to be making calls. I, that's my promise to myself, right? There's nobody tells me what to do. I own the company. I don't have to I don't have to do this. and I've got nobody to report to except me. And so for my family and for my life and the things I do and the world I want to live in and the business I want to have and the experience I want to go through and just, you know, that, that one little goal is, is important and makes a difference in my world. So... In order to make that goal happen, I needed to have all these systems created. I needed to feed that elephant hay every day. So that meant there needed to be hay in reserve. I, I needed to have a list together. I needed to have a big list together. I needed to go through the process of like sorting that list and not double calling people and having show up as duplicates and be messed up and go I mean, I just and I had to have a better system where I could keep notes instead of putting it on paper and writing in the margins and doing all these things. I learned over time because of that one commitment, no matter what I do, I got to make these calls. And so, I mean, I live in a world right now where just really for, for old time's sake and exercise, I guess I, you know, I, I do make a hundred calls a day. I mean, cause I do the show. It's like, I want to, I don't know if I'm going to do this show. And I think about the, my memories of John and how this, this show was important to him. And when I, when I kind of wanted to quit in the past, he would be like, no, come on, dad, we got to keep doing the show. And and then it started growing. And like I've said before, I mean, it's like a top 10% of podcasts. You know, I don't, I don't know why. I'm, I mean, honestly, I'm a little frustrated with it. I mean, it takes a lot of time. <laughs> There's no revenue in selling books. It's worth a damn. I mean, I, I make, this is, it's the least of the revenue in my life. It's frustrating too, because I, I'll say things like, okay, Make sure you give us a five star rating on Apple Podcasts, and we got all these people. In my stats show thousands and thousands of people listening. I go, go scroll down the, the 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 screen and give us five stars. If give me five stars if you think it's a good show, you you go look right now. There's probably two reviews that are left there. One guy talked about me clearing my throat, and some other guy said this is a great show. And there's hardly any star ratings. So literally thousands and thousands of people come. I go, hey, could I just do this one little thing for free? And then and then it just like nothing happens from it. So I'm like, you know, should I even keep doing this? Does anybody care? Is anybody actually? using this, you know, every now and then I get somebody send me a message with feedback like oh this is really helpful and oh my god, so, so appreciate it. But it's it's uh yeah, there's this thing where persistence you can you can uh, you hang your hat on one thing and then have all these other things cascade, but I mean you have this element of do I stick with something or not? And I think it's important to stick with things long enough to give them a chance. I guess is the greater point in this section. And uh and here, you know, I can I can point to utility in doing the podcast in terms of, uh, I mean, just, I thought it was just personally very valuable. The last couple shows we did, uh, I guess be, it wouldn't be the last show, it'd be the two shows prior where I went through all the calls and I had, when I wrote down a list of all the call possibilities and call outcomes and how I would or I wouldn't respond, I have read those things and we talked about them on the show and then I've been also making calls at the same time and I've had this sort of kind of enjoyable experience of, just hearing people say the exact things that I referenced in the book, and then just noticing that I, they just don't bother me that I go, okay, yeah, that's what that person said that. And, and there's so many times where even a, almost a direct quote of the, some of the, the, the call response examples that I gave where, you know, I don't handle that, but I could tell you we wouldn't be interested. And I'm like, okay, thanks. you know just uh, it's helpful for me to go through the process. And really, the, the main utility of writing Prospect Factory, more than anything else. Well, you know, a lot of people bought the book and whatever. It's, you know, it's certainly, it's, it's had its reach. But I mean, personally, the biggest, uh, you know, benefit of of doing that, it was really what, what I got out of it. It forced me to, to, to write down on paper in an intelligible way, this, and describe the systems that I use. And, and in doing that, it helped me think about those systems. And, and shore them up, right? And just understand them better and go, hey, and rec- just recognize if like, hey, there really is a system here. Like, wow, I've really I've got this whole thing I've been doing. Maybe I didn't stop and think of it as a system in the early days. It was just me responding to that, to that one thing. It was like, Oh, I gotta make these calls. So and I just realized I could reduce my pain by by implementing all these little these little parts. And then in time those parts became kind of a symphony of of activities that then made the whole thing just come to life. And change my life and change the life of people I know i and change the life of employees and people that uh, customers and saving people millions. And just, um, you know, it's really it's really remarkable how how just commitment to that one thing. I mean, in the end, really made this huge difference in, in, in my world and the world of people around me. So. So, well, hey, for now, let's let's we'll, we'll wrap up. So thank you for listening. And if you've listened to the last 15 episodes and heard more about the book, I hope you've enjoyed it and found it useful Again, I'll encourage everybody to go down and scroll, scroll down and give a five-star rating, and I'm, I'll hold my breath while people do it. Uh, I certainly would encourage, if you do, you know, relative to your world, if it really makes a difference to you and you have a question or concern or comment, you're certainly welcome to email me. Again, it's ted at tedstevenot.com. And so, until next time, uh, thank you very much for listening, and best of luck with your your sales prospecting, and we'll talk to you soon. Take care. Bye-bye.